And I think we mentioned this several weeks ago about when you have to do real life and a baby. <laughs> um, it's all very well in those first few weeks when you're dedicated to that baby and, and that sort of thing. But as life starts to come back to normal, um, it does pose pose different challenges. So that's been one of the challenges I've had this week. That was regular mum on the show, Cassidy, sharing some of her challenges as baby Max is 11 weeks old and the fourth trimester is coming to an end. We talk about some of the reasons that he's been a little bit fussier. We also chat about the fact that as our little ones get older and we go back to work, our life becomes more rushed and routines become harder to follow. Cass also chats about changes in Max's feeding schedule, and that leads us onto a discussion about when is the right time to start weaning. So keep listening for more from Cass and I as we navigate being real mums in the real world. Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back. I'm Meg Fora. I'm an occupational therapist and an infant specialist, and I've worked with parents for more than 20 years in my private practice. And it really is my passion to be able to deliver sensible information by taking science and making it accessible for mums and dads. My speciality is sensory integration, and as I said, my passion is sleep problems, fussy babies, and actually babies of all shapes and sizes. And each week we are joined usually by Cass, and we've been following Cass's journey all the way through from when Max was born. Each week we just look at what the challenges are for that week. And you know, one of the things we find is that very often the challenges that Cass is finding in her week are the things that you're experiencing at the same time as well. And so I'm really delighted to welcome Cass back with us tonight. Hi, Cass. Hello, how are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. How old is our big boy now? He's 11 weeks. It is absolutely unbelievable how it's flown. I mean, you almost through that first trimester, or we also mm. call it the fourth trimester. The, the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's quite incredible, Cass. And how's your week been? Do you know what? It's, it's been great. He, I think we were talking last week about how he was just a real wonder and that he was starting to fall asleep by himself and about I could potter mm. around and he was you know I was getting into a bit of a routine and and things like that the last couple of days have been a little bit more challenging just in that he's been a little bit fussier interestingly he now knows when I'm putting him into the rocking position to go to sleep and he starts uh-huh. to really kind of kick and not want to do it so it's actually easier mm. to leave him in his bouncy chair and just carry on and eventually he'll fall asleep himself. If he thinks I'm trying to get him to sleep, then it's a bit harder than it used to be. But the thing I think has also really impacted the last couple of days is I've been really busy. Mm. And so it's been harder. Last week when I was talking about how (laughs) wonderful he was, Mm. I actually had quite a free week. I'd, I'd taken the week off work and I'd sort of dedicated the week just to Max and I. So I was completely able to give him my time, 
follow his lead and that sort of thing. And this week I'm back at work. I'm a bit sort of more rushed, trying to fit a bit more in. And I've really noticed that I wasn't actually that flexible before we were sticking to quite a routine, but I almost have to be more flexible with his routine this week because, you know, we've got to get somewhere or we've got to go and I'm putting him in the car, which is disturbing asleep or he's falling asleep when I didn't, wouldn't necessarily want him to fall asleep and those sorts of things. And so it's really, it's quite difficult. And I think we mentioned this several weeks ago about when you have to do real life and a baby, Mm, (laughs) Um, it's all very well in those first few weeks when you're dedicated to that baby and and that sort of thing. But as life starts to come back to normal, um, it does pose pose different challenges. So that's been one of the challenges I've had this week. Yeah. And that certainly does happen. I mean, life happens and we have to go back and particularly as most mums approach four months. And in fact, in America, for our American mummies, they're going to be even earlier than, than we are in the UK because they don't get great maternity leave. Um, and it is, it's putting, it's that pressure that kind of gets passed on. So often what happens is that you're a little bit more tired and so, and a bit more rushed. And so your milk supply comes down as well. You can't just follow their lead in terms of awake times because you're having to fit them into your, into your schedule. So it does become more difficult. The pleasure is, or the, or the good thing is, is that as they approach six months, it's easier to actually have set times of day. So this is always going to be asleep at 9.30 as an example, whereas when they're little, you're watching awake times all the time. So it does get easier as they get a bit older, but you are in that very gray space of being between three months and six months where they actually really do need you to, you know, kind of the world needs to revolve around them at the moment. Mm. And that does become a challenge. Yeah. And I think in a way it's quite good that Christmas is coming up because, you know, everything will stop. And and I was this week just been trying to cram in some last bits of meetings and things like that. And so he's been with my mom, which has been a godsend because mm-hmm. I can go off and, and do those meetings and, and that sort of thing. But the other interesting challenge, and I don't know if they are combined or if they're connected or not, but his feeding in the day is quite fussy. And at mm. night, he's a drip, particularly on one boob. Mm. And I don't know if that is, sometimes it's fussy because he's, which he's been doing for a while, pulling off and smiling and cooing and having, mm-hmm. a, having a laugh. But sometimes it's fussy because he's just not wanting to do it, but he's hungry because mm-hmm. when I either swap boob or eventually do get the boob in, he mm-hmm. quite happily he then relaxes yeah. and starts like, mm-hmm. so. And I don't know if, is that a, is that common yeah. at this time? <laughs> yes. And it's very interesting that you mentioned it because somebody actually asked that exact question today on my Facebook live was, was why are they suddenly becoming a little bit more fussy? So a, a couple of things, first of all, if they're feeding better at night, which he is, and not so well during the day, it can be that he's actually a little bit overstimulated just before you start to feed him. Maybe maybe okay. your life is getting a little bit too busy for him. He's not quite through that fourth trimester. So he might actually be overstimulated. I know he is a settled baby, but it can be like that, that they're actually, he's had too long under a mobile because you kind of forgot about him while you were quickly getting on with some stuff. Um, so he's had too much visual stimulation. Or he's had a little bit too long awake time. Various different reasons why little ones become overstimulated. Maybe you've been a little bit busy kind of maybe trying to feed him in a cafe for instance or in a coffee shop all of these things do can make little ones overstimulated and that will lead to poor feeding and then better feeding in the middle of the night so that's quite classic Mm -hmm. and so the secret there obviously would be either to feed them in a very quiet space 
or to actually feed them straight after a feed rather than before. And that would help with that. So that's that's factor number one. Factor number two is that they've moved into that social time where they're actually, it's very boring to be facing straight towards your chest when there's a whole world going on out there. And so, and particularly, you know, with, with Max, we've spoken about him being a settled baby. Well, what we know about settled babies is as they hit four months, some of them actually become social butterflies. Mm. And what's interesting is I know, I know your family and I know that you have a number of social butterflies in your family. <laughs> <laughs> he has a he has a settled dad, but there are social butterflies in your family. And it is potentially that he's going to actually end up being more of a sensory seeker. And that we won't know until he's after four months because it takes time for those settled babies to emerge into knowing that, oh my goodness, yes, I want more excitement. And so I'm going to seek it. But there is that possibility as well. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I don't know, but today when I got back, um, I'd got out uh, some frozen breast milk earlier in the day for my mum because she was looking after him this morning and she'd used one of the two bags. And so there was a bag that if I didn't use it today, it, uh, it mm, was going to have to be chucked away. So I decided mm. I would bottle feed him and then I'd pump and freeze what I had. Mm. And he was so relaxed and easy to feed mm. on the bottle, but he didn't have enough. So I then, when he finished on the bottle, I put him onto the boob, which he doesn't usually take in the day. And he was really relaxed going onto it I don't know why <laughs> so one of the other reasons and that, that I was going to say that actually they do start to fight the breast is that they become a little bit impatient when they're very hungry at this age and so you're probably stretching him to three hours I'm guessing maybe a little mm -hmm. longer now mm -hmm. and so when he gets to that feed he's now hungry and so what happens is that if your flow doesn't come fast enough and particularly if you're let down because you know let down takes a little bit of time it can take you know three four five seconds which is short but actually in his lifetime when he's that hungry it's it's a long time and so then they kind of go on suck suck come off and pull and sometimes they pull at the nipple you know with with frustration and the fact that he fed very well on the bottle which clearly has no let down delay could could indicate that and then he fed better after that so that's quite interesting what are you stretching him at the moment what, what are his stretches between meal between feed so I'm, I have actually been experimenting a little bit because mm. I was doing three hours, but then I wondered if I could stretch him a little bit further. Mm. So I went to four, but I felt that that was too much following mm -hmm. his leader. It seemed mm. he was getting too upset yep. just before a feed and I had yep. no flexibility if I couldn't mm -hmm. get that moment. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, I'm sort of three, three and a half Perfect. Is, is where yeah. we're at. So why don't you, for the next couple of days, pull it back to three and just see whether or not he's a little more settled, whether or not he's a little bit less fractious and desperate as, as he gets towards that feed and see whether or not that, that helps him a little bit. Okay. And what also happens, and this is way too early for him, and actually this is quite a good moment to talk about solids, is what does happen is that in the next two months, he will be needing solids. And so he might, you might be finding that that stretched all the way to four hours is quite long for him. And just on that topic, you know, for mums who are listening and who are wondering about when to introduce solids, 11 weeks would be too early. So there's no, there's no literature, no research anywhere that could ever propose that a baby would need solids at this stage. Um, all the indications are that it's later. So sometimes it's something that moms start to think about, that maybe if my little one's not stretching all the way to four hours, that it's actually time for solids. But at 11 weeks, and Cass, I'm sure that you're aware of that, it's, mm. it's just not, he's not ready yet. Well, how many weeks would we start thinking about that 
Silence. Yeah. So that is a really interesting <laughs> conversation. And I think it's a good time to start to just talk about it. So there's a history to it. Long time ago, um, 1970s and before that, babies were often recommended to start solids as early as even two weeks old. So, you know, really wow. early introduction of solids was was kind of the fad and what people were doing. And babies were fed very much on routine. And when they weren't stretching their routine, they would actually be put onto some sort of solids. And, and that obviously is not what we recommend now. What then happened was that there became an increase over the years for other reasons in allergies in little babies and or in children. And so some of the research that started to come out started to say it's the early introduction of solids that's actually causing these allergies. And so there was a very big push towards delaying solids. That was one of the reasons. The other reason is that what we do know is that breast milk preferably, but also formula milk um, mixed properly is the best thing for babies in the early days. And in, in countries, particularly in developing countries like in Africa, when babies are moved onto solids or even onto milk, because formula milk is not always mixed correctly or in a sanitary situation, for instance, in Africa, but when babies are moved onto solids and formula milk too early, under six months, the chances of diarrheal disease increases substantially. And so what happened was that the research then said, okay, you know what, let's just blanket say that no baby should have any solids under six months of age. And that has been the recommendation by the World Health Organization over a very long period of time, for about the last 20, 25 years, I'm guessing. And that was based on the fact that there was a belief that there was an increase in allergies if babies had solids under six months, number one. And number two, because the World Health Organization informs third world countries on their health protocols, and they wanted babies to stay on breast milk as long as possible. And that has been the status quo. And most countries have ad advocated exclusive breastfeeding until six months of age as a blanket piece of advice. What happened in about the last 10 years is that we started to do, started to do research on allergies and, uh, specifically. And in, in um, Australia there's, and in many other countries, there's this absolute epidemic proportion of allergies coming through. And so what we started to look at was actually, are these allergies being prevented by this late introduction of solids? And they started to have a look at places that introduced solids earlier and like places in Southeast Asia where, for instance, something like peanuts is actually put into babies' diets from very early on and they had a much lower incidence of allergies. And so the latest research that's coming out as we speak, and it, it's been coming out over the last 10 years in dribs and drabs, but increasingly so, is that late introduction of solids is not a good idea. So what's early, what's late? The new research that is coming out, and, and the World Health Organization, I think, is at the moment is busy examining, changing their protocols. Some people have told me they have already, but I think it's just been proposed, is that the actual age between which babies can safely have solids introduced is 17 weeks to 24 weeks. Now, 17 weeks is, is four months of age, and that does not mean that babies should have solids at four months necessarily, but it also means that you don't have to wait all the way till six months to have solids introduced. And it's this kind of window period that we look at in terms of the science that says somewhere between 17 weeks and four months uh, and six months. Introducing post six months. So let's say you would decide you're going to wait all the way till six months and maybe a little later is, is fine. But what does happen is that you often have a very narrow window in which you can actually introduce enough variety to A, prevent allergies and B, prevent picky eating. And that's part of the reason why we advocate not waiting for after six months. So it's any time in between that window. Exactly when that happens for a baby is very specific to that baby. And in fact, in my book, Weaning Sense, mm -hmm. we go through a whole chapter on what are those signals that you should be looking for. So you know that you've got these parameters now, these guidelines, 17 to 24 weeks. And then within that, you'll be looking at specific signals. Signals. So a couple of the signals would be one would be that when you hold Max around his hips, 
he actually sits upright. So he's not sitting independently, but his chin is off his chest, his body is bolt upright, and he's really like able to support himself in a supported sitting posture, but upright. If a baby hasn't got good enough head control for that, so their chin is flopping down onto their chest, which Max is, will be doing at the moment, mm. they're not ready for solid. So that's the first thing. It's a gross motor signal. A fine motor signal is they start to get everything to their mouth and show a real interest in getting things to their mouth. Um, so that's one thing you'll look for. Another sign that you'll look for, which is a psychological or psychosocial signal, is that they start to have a lot of interest in what you're eating. So when they're sitting on your lap and you're eating that drumstick at lunch, they'll be watching it like absolutely fascinated and maybe even try to reach for it and get it into their mouth. So they have these psychosocial signals. And then on a physiological level, the signals that we look for is really not stretching those four hours or even the three hours. You can just see they start waking up at more at night and they're just less settled in between feeds. So you've kind of got the science, you've got the science that's changed over a period of time. And then you've also got the, the all the signals of the individual baby. And that will indicate to you when Max will be ready. And as I said, we wouldn't think about it before 17 weeks. No, and I think, I mean, I think he's already... In fact, we went to um, a baby massage yesterday <laughs> and I? Max was the size of the six-month-year-old <laughs> baby is there. <laughs> and I could see some of the mums looking at Max thinking he hadn't really developed properly because he was obviously about six months, but he was still yeah. really yeah, floppy. Yeah. And I really wanted someone to ask me, yeah. how, <laughs> how old, old is your he? baby? Yes, he's, yeah. still like, he's 11 weeks. He's actually very advanced. <laughs> <laughs> but I have noticed he is he's really enjoying if he's like sits on my lap he's really enjoying he can hold his head up for a while obviously he does start to get tired mm. but he's starting to be you know not wanting to be on his back as much he's wanting us to he, he mm. sort of fusses and then when we pull him up and he can see and look around he's really enjoying that he's really enjoying we discussed it a bit last week staring at his feet when he's sitting mm. up there's lots of things about sitting up that he mm. prefers is yeah this episode is brought to us by Parent Sense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? Parent Sense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. Yeah, so it's quite interesting. And that is, a, it's very common at this age that they start to want to be more upright. They want to be in your arms. They want to be sitting upright. Like they're almost on a psychological or social level, they are ready for that upright position. But obviously, their gross motor skills are not quite there. And one of the things I actually want to mention, which I don't know if you've come across these seats that kind of support them. They're, they're in molds. They're, one of the brands is called Bumbo Seats. Have you come across them? It's one of his presents. Okay. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> how, how, how do I couch this conversation? Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I am not a fan. So, okay. um, And I'm going to tell you a little bit about why. Um, so these, these products actually came out probably about 15 years ago. And it was like this amazing thing because what happens is that you can seat a baby of about this age from about three months onwards in a seated position. They are supported up to around about the bottom of their rib cage, legs out bolt in front of them, describing it for moms who don't know what they are. And it's and it's a mold produced little kind of seating arrangement. And you can, it's quite convenient because you can pop them in there and they can watch the world go by. 
There's two really, really big problems with them. The first one is a safety issue. And that is that what mums start to tend to do is actually just pop them on a kitchen counter or on a table while they're in there or, you know, on, on the, on, even on tiles. And what you forget is that babies are top heavy. Their heads are significantly heavier than their body. And so as they lean over to reach for something, they topple. And so these bumbo seats in conjunction with walking rings are two of the leading causes of head injury in children under the age of one for this reason. So the first thing is, is that if you're going to use them, you need to use them on the floor. They can never be put on a higher surface. And that's a really serious warning that I think comes with, with the product anyway. Problem number two is that the very best place for babies, and we've spoken about this a couple of times, is actually on the floor. So that's why we want floor time and we want tummy time in the early days. And then at this age, we want floor time. And the reason is that in floor time, they're either on their tummy, so they're working their back muscles and their neck muscles, or they're on their back and they're working their tummy muscles and touching their knees and their feet at, at 11 weeks. And those two things are very important as precursors to rolling, which, as we've mentioned in a previous podcast, is a precursor to crawling, which we've also mentioned is a precursor to mathematical skills because of spatial reasoning, because of what it does in the fine motor and kind of shoulder girdle areas. So it's really, crawling is vitally important. And um, for anybody who hasn't heard that episode, you must go back and listen to it um, because it really is, it, we, we talk about why, why floor time is so important. Now, what happens with these, these seating devices is that the temptation is just to pop your little one in there because they actually are sometimes more content in there. When they're lying flat, they want to be picked up. Mm. And so what this device does is it creates low tone and poor equilibrium reactions in the trunk of the body, in the, in the body. And so we're seeing a lot of lower tone in babies. We're seeing poor equilibrium reactions. We're seeing late crawling and we're even seeing late sitting as well, but less so late, late sitting, more late crawling. And so for a developmental reason, as an occupational therapist, I always think that developmentally, but also for safety reason, mm. they're, they really are not good, good to use. So I guess having now said all that, <laughs> let's try and work out how we can make it work. Just limit the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was one of those things where actually at this Christmas, we have got some things that we won't use for a little while anyway, but we were just thought these are things mm. we need. We'll use Christmas as an excuse for poor Max's Christmas presents and more what we needs. <laughs> and you do know what Max is going to love the most when as he gets older? The boxes. The box that comes in. <laughs> exactly. And for this age, it'll be the wrapping paper, yeah. the gorgeous bright colored wrapping paper that he can crinkle. And that, by the way, that crinkly wrapping paper and that empty box are better for him developmentally than any mm. expensive toys. So um, yeah, so, so it's not the time to spend money on expensive toys and yeah, bumbo seats are not my favorite. So. Yeah. And, and so if we, but if we looked at that as, because we where we are in at the moment, we're in um, a small cottage and there isn't a huge amount of the, the kitchen area doesn't it's separate to the sitting room mm-hmm. and it's rented and there's a cream <laughs> carpet, um, <laughs> which doesn't really lend itself to weaning. Babies. So one of the things I did think about was it, that chair was possibly an option when I was weaning him. If I'm obviously sitting there with him in the kitchen, but because the, there's no sort of natural space for a high chair, mm. but so when he's a bit older and is that an option, is it better then, or is it actually something? Cause I can send it back yeah. if it's just a never yeah. use. It is a never use in my books. Um, okay. it, it really is. You know, what happens is when you are sitting next to that table, you know, you, you quickly reach over cause the spoon fell on the floor. So you reach over to rinse it under, mm. the, ta- under the tap or whatever, you know, it, it just happens. Sure. It is a product that I would, I would say to parents, don't use it. Don't have it all. Um, walking, rings are fine if they are 
but with very limited time, but if they don't have wheels on the bottom, it's because the wheels create the danger with walking rings. If they're static walking rings, they're slightly less dangerous. They're just bad for development. So my, my sense would be that that would probably be a send back. And, you know, the other great ways that you can actually, I mean, having a kitchen table, what we had actually with our third child is we had one of those chairs that kind of clipped onto the kitchen mm. table. And that's really cool because that can fold up really small. It doesn't take up space like a big high chair does. You know, also you can just feed him in the pram. So, you know, in, in the stroller. Yeah. So, so and, you know, pram and stroller is a better place to feed him than in a than in the bumbo seat for sure. Okay. And the temptation of the bumbo seat, I think it'll be too great in yeah, terms sure. of, of just popping him in there. So, yes, I'm sorry. And, you know, it's, a, it's not even that controversial. I, I think you would almost find, you'd battle other than through the, the marketeers who are actually selling mm-hmm. the product to find anybody who would be advocating them at this stage. Yeah, it, it was recommended actually by a friend of mine who has a young baby who said that she, you know, it mm. was just a get because they put toys and things on the tray table on the tray table mm. for her yeah. to play with. And I think it comes with sensor. Yeah. But yeah. So, so if, if you were going to keep it and you were going to feed him on the floor, you sitting on the floor, him sitting on the floor and only use it for meal times. I think that would be fine. You know, that would kind of be five to 10 minutes at a stretch each time. Mm. I think what often does happen is that we just we I mean, parenting is such hard work that we get lazy and it's not laziness. It's just that like, oh my gosh, we need some sort of respite. We need some sort of tool to make it a little easier. And it is one of those tools that definitely makes it easier. It's kind of similar to the whole TV debate, you know, under a year of age, the American Association of Pediatrics says absolutely no screen time. Well, I mean, and I, in fact, I was on the radio this week on an hour long interview on exactly this, this issue. And the moms are pushing back at me because we kind of do end up needing, and not at Max's age, but certainly as little ones get towards a year of age, we use screens to babysit them so we can get on and just dry our hair or go to, you know, Mm. go and have have a quick shower or whatever it is. So screens are also contentious, but I think, you know, it's always important. You have to be balanced, obviously, but it is important, I think, on certain things to go as far as you can towards a gold standard and then, you know, kind of use things if you have to for short times. Absolutely. I mean, even with, with the TV thing, you know, sometimes if I'm breastfeeding him, I might have the TV on. And then when I lift him, when I have him sitting to wind him, I'll turn it off because otherwise mm-hmm. he will end up just, I see, I see him just staring yeah. at the TV. And I, the first time I caught him doing it, I thought, oh my goodness, I, I'm basically mm-hmm. giving him screen time without meaning to there. So yeah. that, that now goes off. It's only when he's down facing yeah, me, that you'll pop it on for a bit. That I'll mm. pop it on just just because sometimes he can be on there for a really long time, yeah. and yeah. I'd rather. I mean, the other thing is, I do actually really try and not go on my phone or watch mm. TV when I'm feeding him. I try and be because I know that that mo- those moments are going to end, mm. and you know, I try and be really present. But sometimes you're just really tired and you need to switch your brain off and, you know, or or you've fed quite a lot that day Mm. (laughs) and you've been very in the moment a lot. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, I think with all of these things, there's the, and I think it's very important for us to be real mums because that's what this podcast is all about Mm. is reality is life. Although I do give the science the gold standard, none of us are going to even vaguely attain that. And we're not supposed to, we are just supposed to be good enough. We're not supposed to be perfect. And in actual fact, perfect parenting is problematic. It really is. Mm. So parenting is supposed to be gritty. It's supposed to be real. And it's supposed to be that you make a certain number of mistakes or just fall into things. And that's very important because mum guilt is one of the, it's it's one of the, my bugbears. I don't think there's any time or place for it. Mm. So, you know, I think what I think that is important messaging around screens or around bumbo seats or around anything else, you know, having your baby cry for a couple of minutes or whatever it is, is to realize that there are things that are, let's call them gold standards, 
but they are definitely not what we are supposed to deliver to our child all the time. And we are human and things will happen where a mom has to put, I mean, those moms who are listening, who've got two babies, I'm telling you now, they put their toddlers in front of TV because they have to get to the newborn. Mm. And, you know, it's because they don't have another set of hands that, that the TV becomes the babysitter and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's very important to make allowances for life happening. Having said that, I think being a conscious parent means just checking yourself and going, oh, you know what? <laughs> I've gone from three minutes of TV to now three hours of TV. Well, we've got out of control. Let's pull it back again. Or, you know, and so, so that's what this is all about is saying, what's the gold standard and what can we aim for? But let's be real and let's, you know, let's make allowances. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think there's moments, I mean, even with him sometimes falling asleep in his bouncy chair, you know, I know it, he should be lying flat on his back for every sleep. But sometimes if he falls asleep in that chair to mm-hmm. wake him and go through the whole process of having to get him back to sleep <laughs> is just, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, and sometimes you do. And, and I think, thank goodness he's asleep. There are some days where the fact that he's yeah. fallen asleep, you're doing a <laughs> yeah. mini celebration yeah. dance around him in silence. <laughs> Because yeah, you're, exactly. You know, you're just so happy. And that's quite a good example of like what is the gold standard for falling asleep. And you know, I always say that if you can prioritize bedtime going down as you want them to sleep at night, and one sleep preferably around about midday as also being in that sleep space, because that's the one if you fast forward to two years' time, those are the only two sleeps that will be left, the midday sleep and the and the nighttime sleep. So prioritize those if you can as being quite gold standard, as it were, if that's what we're talking about. And for the rest, life happens. So if he happens to fall asleep in the car on the way back from the shops, that's fine. You know, if you need to put him in the carrier or the pram to go for a walk around the block at four o'clock in the afternoon because he has not slept and you need him to and that's how he falls asleep, that's also fine. And just kind of prioritize those two, that midday sleep and that that evening sleep. Obviously, for those mums who are listening who are fortunate to have nannies or maids or other caregivers who are on hand, to keep their baby's sleep space always 100% consistent. That's great. So for the rest of us where life actually happens, just prioritize that midday sleep and that evening sleep and, and that'll be good. But yeah. Cass, sure, you've really brought up some absolutely fabulous topics to today. We've covered a lot of bases and with our 11-week-old little Max. Absolutely. I just have one really quick question that actually mm. quite a few people have asked me as well. And I've now started to have it at night. He is now, he was sort of going seven to eight hours. I have to say the last couple of nights he's not, but he was pretty consistently doing that. And I was waking up with really huge sore boobs for that three o'clock feed. Mm. Do I need to be pumping in the middle of the night? No, you don't need to be pumping. Your body will adjust so quickly because it'll learn that the next, and the next night it would have been better already. If you find your boobs are very hot and sore and kind of almost so so tight that he's not able to latch nicely. You can just hand express a little bit off before he starts to feed, but okay. you don't need to express that feed. And in fact, if you keep expressing that feed, you keep telling your body that he's waking mm. up. And so you're just delaying the, the the inevitable, which is that you're going to have full breasts for a few nights while he, when, when he goes to that stage, when he's going through. And when he has a regression and starts waking more regularly, my boobs will catch up again. Absolutely. Yeah. You might have a night where he pulls it back all the way to like 10 o'clock. And then once you've done that one, he'll switch back forward to one o'clock. So that's what they do at that time. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Cass. Oh, it's, as always, it's just absolutely wonderful to to speak to you. And yeah, next week, next week when we speak to you, he's going to be 12 weeks old, which is a crazy I'm thought. really excited because I remember us talking about about the 12 week old mark weeks and weeks yeah. ago. So yeah. it is, <laughs> it, it, I don't do want to turn... waste the time away. No, you don't. But that not that parenting? Like you look yeah. forward to the next step, but you don't, but you don't want the one to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Kes. Have a good week. Meg. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoy my podcast, I would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you, The Honest Hour. Christina Mazurik is mom to two boys and a third little boy on the way. She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa since 2008 and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest Hour. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.